Hi, I'm Lindsay Tauber of Help Around, and I'm happy to welcome you to a specialty patient podcast with your host, Ishai Knobel. Each episode is crafted to bring you new insights into the specialty drug ecosystem. Our guests share Help Around's passion for improving the patient experience and making specialty patients' lives easier. I hope you enjoy listening to this session. All right. So we are back at the Help Around Specialty Patient Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Ishai Knobel, co-founder and CEO of Help Around, and uh, we are providing patient connectivity focused on specialty therapies, helping patients get on therapy easily, more predictably, uh, and working with uh, the, the ecosystem to make patient connectivity easier and faster. So today we have with us uh, a very special guest. We have Christine von Reisfeld, who is the CEO of a nonprofit that is geared towards uh, something we're very passionate here about, help around breaking silos in healthcare. Uh, and, and Christine is also a patient herself. And I'm really excited to help you have you with us today. Welcome, Christine. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and I am honored to be able to share my story with you. You mentioned that you are about making this easier and faster for patients, and I am all about that because this has not been an easy journey. Um, so if you want me to share my story, I can start now. Absolutely. So yeah, Christine, you know, you're, you're in the space, you're a patient yourself. We'd love to hear your personal story and how that brought you to what you're doing today in breaking silos in healthcare. Is an interesting story. My life has been a series of unfortunate events when it comes to healthcare. So if something could go wrong, it did. Um, and starting out from the time of childhood, I was five years old at my first surgery. Um, but keep in mind, my mother was an immigrant new to the United States. She was here from the Philippines, married my father. There were five children in total, three oh, wow. of us. Yeah, right. And five of me, could you imagine? Um, and then at three of us, three of us had actual real health, significant health concerns. Um, my sister and brother had severe eczema, but my issues were a little different. Um, so most of my life, uh, a lot of weird symptoms would go to my doctors, my parents, and everything was dismissed. You know, I had joint pains that was growing pains. Um, and, and literally my whole life then just became me saying something was wrong, people not really hearing me, dismissing me, telling me these things are normal, and then moving on. And uh, so my life, you know, has always been this screaming to be heard. And I have a lot of issues here in healthcare that hopefully no one will ever have to go through again, but I've gone through lost medical records with my last providers. Um, I had a series of, or I had 28 volumes of medical records uh, up until my, in my twenties. And when we switched over to EMR, all of those medical records or a majority of them aside from 5,000 pages were actually lost. So I have no history of what I've been through in my life. And I can tell you, I have been on every drug possible for every condition I've had and don't know what I've been on, why I stopped them. We have no information. And that, my parents- that's, uh, and that, that's just, you know, this exemplifies just one of the biggest disconnects that are happening out there to patients and families where you just, you just can't get your records across the street. Quite an unacceptable situation. 
Right. And, and then what do you do if you find out that all of your records are lost? Because I had no recourse. There was nothing done. It was just really, sorry, we lost it. Here's what we have. And so in that instance, you know, when you have someone with multiple conditions and a long-standing history of things that have gone wrong, these things are important. Um, and even I saw, you know, a documentary about New Orleans and a lot of those paper records in the times of floods were lost. So you had patients lined up in an arena with just do you have type two diabetes come here? Because people don't know the medicines they're taking. They don't know the treatments they've gone through and it's all foreign. So that's one of my, my mistakes or one of my things there. But I also have a lot of damage from medicines, medications. And I've had three joint replacements. I also have toxic encephalopathy. I've lost some night vision all due to medications. And it wasn't the medication, it, you know, a lot of people have said to me, why don't you sue these doctors? They did this to you. And my story is a little different. My support at that time came from the doctors. My doctor became my mother and she was the one advising me on, me, on everything healthcare related. So I would never want to sue a doctor for trying to help me. And now, so I and think now, before, and before we got on the call, uh, you you told me uh, you shared with me how you had different doctors involved uh, in oh. different conditions, and some of them worked out better than others. So tell us a little bit about uh, that experience. Oh, huge issues with doctors. So multiple conditions, right? I have been diagnosed in my records. I think there are over twenty different diagnoses. We are finding that some of them now are wrong. Um, some of them weren't even transferred over from my own hospital. And I'm struggling now uh, because I have, I have a primary care who is not actively involved in my care and does not know how to coordinate care very well. He's an amazing man. Nothing, nothing primary about the primary. Uh... Yeah, yeah, right. And so it's, it's been interesting. I've, I've recently been diagnosed with two new rare conditions. One, uh, AAG, autoimmune autonomic gangliopathy and another LVNC, left ventricular non-compaction. So both are, you know, the genetic heart condition has been there since birth, but we missed it. So I have spent my, most of my time with doctors really just going from one to another, trying to find answers. And a lot of times my answers have been wrong. And I, I see a lot of patients pushing for a diagnosis and so excited when they finally get one. But for me, it was the diagnosis that actually hurt me. So I, I got a lupus diagnosis, not because of a blood test or something that qualifies you for it, but because it's criteria. And I had all 11 of the criteria required to diagnose you when you really only need four. So every issue I had after that then became attributed to the lupus. I had joint pains. Don't worry. You have arthritis. You have lupus. It's normal. And then we find out I need three joint replacements. With the brain damage, I had been telling them something's wrong. I have brain fog. I don't feel right. The doctors were saying, you're on chemotherapy. It's okay. And then when I complained more, maybe it's time to see a psychiatrist. And it was the psychiatrist that actually referred me back to neurology, then had another MRI and we found significant brain damage. 
So it, you know, it's funny because they say, you know, I have an amazing team of doctors and it's not an amazing team of doctors. It is an amazing team of physicians assistants and friends that have conditions and doctors outside of my network. My biggest support in all of this healthcare journey has been physicians and industry. So, so this is really important what you're saying right now, because first of all, are they, you said a team, are they really a team? <laughs> you know, do they talk to each other or do they just all individually support you? No. You, have so that's, go, you know, have you so had, that, yeah. That's the funny thing, right? Everybody says you have a primary, they're the, the, the captain of your ship and they're going to do everything. But when you get into having so many different conditions and misdiagnoses, nobody knows where to go. So when I used to, when I was a kid, I remember there were meetings, right? Once a week, all the doctors got together and they discussed their difficult patients. They sat there, they brought in other physicians, they were a phone call away. But now my care has come to go to the ER, they send me home, I get a virtual visit. And then that doctor says it's not their issue without even seeing me, you know? And so I now I'm going through again, another series of things are going wrong, but I'm going to one doctor saying, okay, these are my issues. Can you document this here? And who do you think I need to go to next? So I have, I have literally asked my specialists for referrals for a good primary and none of them can give me one. Right. I mean, I can't even just imagine those who are who don't have access to to you know quality care. First of all, you said that you got most of your support from physicians and from industry. What do you mean by industry? I mean people in pharma, people who are in startup companies who hear my story and become vested in what they've heard and want to help in some way. And what um, help? Uh, what help do they usually offer? Raising my voice, giving me opportunities, trying to help me get around this whole system of I'm on social security. So, you know, I've done everything for free. And, and these people in industry want to help me succeed and help make sure that my voice still continues. Whereas other parts of, of healthcare just haven't been there to really encourage me. So I get it, right? There's a lot of profits that can be made in the information that I have. But I think it's something that we need to realize is there with all patients, right? It should not be this difficult for me to get answers about a condition. And even still with the lupus diagnosis, my rheumatologist and the fellow that work on me are telling me they don't even know that I have it anymore, but we can't take it out of my records. So we, every Every single visit, it's documented again. She is no showing no active signs of lupus, and then pass me on to neurology. This is just a terrible, you know, terrible, terrible experience. And and you know, to all the people who are listening uh, to us right now, I think the first of all, here's why we go, we wake up in the morning and go to work, right? Uh, it's, it's it's to try to make a difference here. Uh, you, Christine, started um, um, your leading a nonprofit that is geared towards breaking silos in healthcare. Tell us a little bit about how you turned your personal story into into uh, more of a kind of a mission. Wow! So my story, you know, I uh, my family is not a very supportive family. So I'm not one of the lucky ones that has amazing people, but I do find that most of the most active and most engaged advocates are the ones that really don't have that support. 
you know, so kind of played out. So at, at the time, I really was just looking for somewhere to just vent, right? And found a small nonprofit, ended up taking over their social media, took them from a nothing nonprofit of 200 followers to one of Healthline's top lupus nonprofits in 2017. Um, but then started raising a lot of money that wasn't going directly to the patient, you know, to what we were supposed to be supporting. And so I walked away. Um, and, and then was when I made this decision, I was going to work with industry and organizations that were really looking out for patients. And, you know, when I was working with this other nonprofit, I had started a series of Facebook live events before Facebook live was cool. Right. And I had brought on, I brought on just different people that I had, that I thought had things to offer patients, right? Insurance people that were advising them on how you do life insurance or, or even donating your body, right? If you don't want to be a burden on your family, there are hospitals where you can donate your body to science and, and finding alternative practical things for patients to implement and use in their life, you know, that, that would just make things a little easier. And, uh, and me, I have an outgoing personality. I am all about connecting and networking. I need social interaction and would go to events here in the Bay Area that were, you know, networking, but there was never anyone in healthcare, right? It was a lot of tech people, a lot of real estate, finance, all of that, but, but not a lot of health. And so I started making my way in. Um, Paul Sims from I for Pharma somehow found me, uh, started connecting with other people. I became a team of advisor for patients like me. And then that continued, right? I started serving on advisory boards for pharmaceutical companies. I worked, I now work with all of us research with the NIH and I'm a technical ex expert panelist for for Medicare, but I also, in the same time, inserted myself in places where I shouldn't have, right? I went to conferences and, and reached out to conference organizers and said, can I come in? And it was like, no, you can't come here. It's this much money. And I thought, well, I'm on these things. I can make an intro. And that's where it started, right? It was, I, uh, one of the first ones that I got into was the Precision Medicine World Conference with Tal Behar. And I had reached out and, uh, you know, there wasn't really a space or whatever. And so I said, look, I work with patients like me and I can send you an intro. I don't see them on your list and they have this amazing program. And that got me there, right? So now it has just been really I go to different conferences in different areas, the pharma, ACR, I've gone to, you know, the virtual med conference, and I see all these amazing ideas that industry has, and yet we're so siloed, right? It's, it's right. this person working on this here and not even connecting with someone in this space that could have something to add to it. And, and we've become a lot about capitalism and who's there first and, you know, first to the market. And, and we're not really listening to patients. No, no, no go ahead. I was going to tell you a little story about how my pacemaker came to play, which please, was, please. you know, I had, so I have a rare genetic condition, left ventricular non-compaction. It is passed from parent to child, a genetic condition. So no other way of getting it. And it is a malformation in my heart. So my heart did not fully develop. It's kind of still like ground beef on the outside, which caused some of my blood clots, right? And I, I was actually in full heart failure earlier this year. I uh -huh. ate ER visits in the time of COVID, right? I kept going to the ER saying something was wrong. 
when I was there, my heart rate was low, but it was okay. You know, I was active. I was talking. I don't look like I'm sick. So nothing is wrong. And they sent me home. So kept pushing it, pushing it. Uh, 15 plus telehealth visits, all to go back to the ER the seventh time and demand something. So they put on a Zio patch, which I then found out was one of the best sensors there is out there in healthcare um, for the heart. And we found out that I had 1600 AV blocks in a two week period. So I was literally dying and no one noticed. Nobody noticed. And same with the brain. Yeah, same with the brain issues, right? I sat there, I said, these things are wrong. And they kept saying, no, it's okay. And I know my body, right? I know these things aren't okay. And that's why I kept going back to the ER. But if I hadn't, you know, if I had a great support system at home, I would probably be dead now. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're describing is, is um, you know, I'm guessing a lot of specialty patients and, and also caregivers of specialty patients are uh, listening to us and and really relating to the story that that you're telling us how being a patient is way beyond a full-time job. You just way beyond beyond the full-time job. And you know, this is, you know, our vision or our mission uh, as an industry and also as a company is, you know, how do we streamline uh, treatments? How do we I call it unoverwhelmed patients, uh, which is such a you know huge uh, undertaking. But if you had that magic wand that you could wave, and something would change uh, in our in our industry, what would it be? Well, first of all, I would focus on wellness instead of us stepping in at the last minute and fixing things. I would really take a you know, wellness approach, a a preventative and a precision medicine approach and looking at how we can use the technology that has evolved to really help patients and and not overwhelm physicians' offices at the same time, right? Because I do know that when you put information in the hands of a patient, if they are not properly educated, it can turn into a disaster, right? So I think if I had a magic wand, it would be pushing First, a lot of awareness, a lot of empathy, um, really hitting home with personal stories and, and letting people know that these things happen instead of sweeping things under the rug, right? Really talking about these issues because I'm not the only one having the issues. I'm probably just one of the only ones strong enough to admit that I'm having them. Yeah, you know, absolutely. nobody wants to go out there and say they can't handle it. Nobody does. I don't even want to do it, but I am because I know that every time I come out and I tell my experience, I get messages everywhere from parents, from, from children who were sick that had to navigate the system as well. Right. I, the people that I choose to mentor are usually kids who got sick, who are now at a space who see the potential of what's out there. You know, I, I'm involved with the human-wide program and the All of Us research program with the NIH, and I see huge potential for the data that's out there. But what we really need to do is educate people on what that data is, what it's worth, and how we can use that data to really leverage the playing field here. And as some, someone who lost so much of your own data, um, where it was really so critical and just imagine what, 
what what we would have been able to do with all that data with the technology that we have today uh, to just kind of crunch it in and give you the personalized diagnosis uh, specific to you. Uh, you you are working on a goal uh, around providing digital rights uh, to patients on their data. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that initiative? Well, I hope so. We're <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But honestly, I do see potential, right? I, I lost all of those records, but I can rebuild those records through precision medicine, right? I can tell you that now I know that it wasn't the medications that caused this damage. It was the way I metabolized them. It wasn't my doctors not knowing things. It was just that the information wasn't out there, but we do have that information now. So I don't need now to do step therapy. I don't need to experiment with certain medications or compounds because I know genetically how I metabolize certain compounds. So my treatments as a whole have changed. So how do we use that information, right? And I'm seeing a lot with whole genome sequencing and there's a lot of discussion out there about data ownership. And I've had in-depth conversations with other patient advocates and friends and, and it's not ownership. I think we're a little confused on what people want. It is not really ownership. It's, it's the digital rights, right? I, I look at it, I'm gonna date myself here and I'm gonna say a record player. Um, but I think that this data is valuable. Every piece of this data is valuable to somebody in this industry. It may not be pharma, but it could be a startup who's looking to develop a product that helps a certain person, right? Or a certain class of people. So here we are now, you have access to get this genome sequencing to find out this data, there's gene expression out there. But but if we, if we involve patients in this way, we have to give them something back. And so I think it's great that we can use these things and really hone in on finding cures and finding treatments and, and options that work for patients. But at the same time, we have to give them a vested interest in what they're doing. You know, I, I hear a lot in this industry of, we don't need to, to compensate you. We don't need to do anything because we're trying to help you. But I also see a lot of patients who are helped by a drug and then it gets pulled from them, you know, and they have no say and no recourse. And, and the one thing that did help doesn't help anymore. Even for me, right? I, 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 with my pharmacogenomics, we found out that I metabolize certain things differently. Methotrexate, I am a slow metabolizer, which is why we cause the brain damage and it crossed the blood brain barrier. But when it comes to opioids, I'm a slow metabolizer or a fast metabolizer, I'm sorry. And so it goes through me like a tic-tac. There is no effect to me when I take any of the opioids. Yep. The diluted, that works, right? But whenever I say I need diluted, I come across people who say, nope, it's too strong. You can't take that, this and that. Yeah. But I know genetically that's what works. Yeah. Right. So I can take diluted. I can get the infect, you know, an injection of diluted. I can pick up my phone and get to work. It doesn't affect me that way. It may affect someone else in a way, but I think we really need to now hone in on the individual patient, look at them, you know, every aspect of their life and really look at their quality of life and what they want. Right. We want to save them. We want to put all this technology into play. But when we put this technology, you're also putting more responsibility. You're putting more financial responsibility. Um, and, and already you've seen it is way too hard to navigate this alone. 
Do you see, so, uh, you know, the manufacturers of uh, precision therapies, you know, they, they would love to work closely with every patient uh, to make sure that it works for them, right? But, mm-hmm. but the challenge here is that they're not the care provider. They're not the doctor. No. There's separation, very yeah. clear regulatory separation between but that's funny. the provider. Well, it's funny. Provider. That, yeah. And so it's funny that you mentioned this because we were just on a call today. I, I do a chat room on Thursdays with Health Reconsidered and it's about a patient perspective. And we do delve into these topics, right? And it is funny that there is a divide as well with the provider, with pharma, with patients, right? There's a strong divide between all of these. And I think what we really need to do is rebuild our ecosystem and include patients in this ecosystem. Our doctor's offices are overwhelmed. We have the pharma industry pushing clinical trials saying we need this to happen. You have patients who want options, who are seeing this data out there and wanna bring it to their doctors, but their doctors don't even understand this. I mean, you have no idea how many physicians I run across who don't even know what pharmacogenomics is. You know, and it's and it's a simple test that's, you know, the cost of it is going down every day. And if we could really just incorporate it into our daily routines of testing people for certain things, we would avoid a lot of the costs. We would rebuild trust. There are a ton of things that could go, you know, could spin from this, but we don't give it a chance because there's no proven ROI yet. Yeah. Well, Christine, this is really, I think this is giving, I hope this is, I think this, this is giving um, people the hope uh, that we are getting there gradually. And I think uh, continuing to raise awareness uh, as you do uh, to, to the importance of, of uh, creating these mechanisms for precision medicine and single patient diagnosis uh, and, and genetic you know, genetic uh, uh, profiling of patients. Uh, that's really where we're going. Uh, we need to get there as an industry. And I want to start, you know, ahead of our wrapping up, ask you, is there anything you would want to tell our listeners today? Uh, a message you want to leave them with? So my biggest message is for anyone, right, is that you know your body the best that there are things out there that can potentially help you. I was not a science person. I was not even a school person. But when I found out that there are certain things out there that could really improve my quality of life, that is where things started to change. So I think really just empowering patients and people in general, letting them know that there there are resources out there. There are things out there. And we just really need to uncover this citizen science scientist in us all and really just reframe patient advocacy into something more positive. So there are, there are things out there, right? And, and there's a way to really make this a fruitful healthcare system where we all benefit. But, you know, my little key phrase that I leave everyone with is it's only through collective intelligence and collaborative leadership that we will find viable solutions that work for us all. Christine, thank you so much. Thank you so much today. This was really inspiring. I wish you, first of all, very, very good health. And uh, and I wish you uh, a much, much easier experience navigating your healthcare. And thank you. 
this is a big deal. This is important for us. And, and that's our mission, uh, all as an industry, to make patients' lives easier. So thank you. Thank you again. And yeah. wishing you. And with your help and the help of science, I think we got this. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening to the Specialty Patient Podcast. Follow us for even more episodes on any of your preferred podcast streaming services, including Apple and Spotify. You have a suggestion for a topic or a guest? Please send an email to lindsay at helparound.co. And for more information on Helparound, visit helparound.co.